My name is Jacob Stoops, and you're listening to the Page 2 Podcast, my podcast about the reality of being an SEO in which I chronicle the real-life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the industry. Today, we talk with Nikki Mosier, Technical SEO Manager at Seer Interactive. We discuss how she began her career as a web designer focusing on WordPress websites, a content development and social media specialist, and how she came to specialize in technical SEO. We also discuss working with developers, her favorite technical SEO tactics, the need to just be nice to other people in the industry, her first time public speaking, and our mutual love of gardening and being outdoors. So get your popcorn ready as we tell Nikki's SEO story. Hi, everybody. This is Jacob Stoops, and I am here today with Nikki Mosier, Technical SEO Manager at Seer Interactive. How's it going, Nikki? Good. How about you, Jacob? Good. It's good. It's uh, it's nice. Not that I want to get away from the, the Raleigh SEO scene, but it's nice to, to, to branch out to somebody <laughs> from a different location. I think I've interviewed three Raleigh SEOs in, in a row, and they're awesome. Uh, but it's nice to make my way back across the um, the country. Um, so I just want to honestly just jump jump right in. So I guess for those that don't know you, tell us about yourself. Yeah, so uh, like you said, I'm across the country from Raleigh. Uh, we, I'm here in Denver. We actually have a pretty active SEO beers community as well. Um, should have a have an SEO beer conference sometime all the different cities that have seo beers groups i hear uh uh, kansas city's got a pretty active community bubbling up as well um yeah i've been in denver for almost four years i grew up in the midwest i got started just kind of by default i was playing building out uh wordpress sites for really small businesses um basically just kind of customizing things Um, and then people would say okay great you gave me a website now how do people find me I was like, that's a great question. So just kind of started figuring stuff out. I think like like most people in our industry got started reading the Moz Beginner's Guide because that's what was there at the time um, and just kind of started learning as I went and then started freelancing for a while and then realized that uh, agencies might be a good kind of next step, but there wasn't a lot of agencies where I was at in, in Northeast Iowa. So made the move to Denver about four years ago and I've been at uh, a couple of small agencies wearing a lot of different hats at those agencies uh, before I landed at Sear a few months ago. Yeah. So you're, uh, you're pretty, pretty fresh at, at Sear. Um, yeah. So what is it with SEOs in beer? There's just, I know, right. In beer. Apparently we like beer. Yeah, that's a thing. We had a we had Denver Digital Summit this past week here in Denver, and we had had a pretty good SEO beers gathering, and we closed down. I think we even closed down the venue at the end of the night. Nice, nice. I feel like I'm getting getting a little too old to to close down venues, and I and yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe it comes with having having kids, but I would be given definitely uh, probably given the wrap it up signal. <laughs> I mean, it was it was only ten o'clock, but that was still pushing it for me. Oh so. yeah, no, I yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, on Friday nights these days, I'm you know eight o'clock. I'm like, yes, if I'm home sleeping, that's awesome. <laughs> Anyways, I feel so, yeah. 
So, gosh, so yeah, so you have a background that is incredibly similar to to my own. I started as a as a web designer, and the very same thing started with WordPress and um, built a bunch of built a bunch of websites. And then the next question was, how do they get traffic? And that's that's what led me to SEO too. So a very, very similar experience. Um, how did you, so I, I, I've noticed that you've done a little bit of content development, social media. You said you wore multiple hats, I guess, in, in now you're kind of a technical SEO. Kind of how did you go across that spectrum of different job types? Because there's so many things SEOs can do. Yeah, I think, so yeah, like I said, I started out freelancing and at that point it was just kind of, okay, what does anybody need? And I'll figure out how to do it. And then kind of started figuring out what areas really interested in me and um, where where I was, where my skills were. And somehow that's led to a combination of both technical and local SEO, which I'm starting to learn is kind of rare that people, most technical SEOs, hate local SEO either just because they haven't touched it or because they don't want to touch it but I for some reason really like both of them so that's kind of an interesting interesting dynamic to have local so what is it what it is what is it about local that you like so much um, I think just being able, like, staying on top of all of the changes that Google My Business throws and, like, all of the different features and then trying to figure out when they when they throw out a new feature, like, like posts, like, almost a year ago now. Um, okay, what's going to be the impact of these? Are they actually going to be helpful? Are they going to be something that is worth putting time into? And then kind of testing the different, different ways to do, use those different features. Uh, I think there's just always something to test and always something new similar to any other aspect of SEO. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Always, always be testing. That's, that's been uh, my mantra, especially, especially lately, um, especially in light of having things like the rel next and rel preve, which I kind of went off on in one, one episode, <laughs> um, you know, just kind of dropped, dropped on us. If you're not testing and utilizing data to make informed decisions, or if you're implementing things and not, circling back and, um, you know, understanding the results of the things that you implemented, uh, probably not doing your job. So it's, it's good to be a tester. Um, I think just the other, the other piece of local is just like the impact it can make for small businesses, especially mm -hmm. like a lot of times small businesses don't have the resource. They don't have a full dev team behind them. They don't have the resources to have maybe the best website. A lot of times they're going to be on things like Wix and Squarespace and Mm -hmm. the things that probably kind of put them behind in some other aspects. But if they have a strong, strong Google, my business presence, they're really making sure that that's optimized. That I think can give them a leg up when sometimes you could see a competitor that isn't doing anything with their Google, my business listings. I think a lot of, a lot of people think, Oh, Google just gave me this thing. I don't actually, I can't, I, what can I do with it? So some people I think don't even realize that you can actually go in and actually change so much about the listing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as somebody who's helped my my father-in-law, who is a small business owner but knows nothing about digital marketing, I can absolutely yep. attest to uh, they honestly they don't know they don't know nothing nothing about it anything about it I should say. Um, and and it's not that they, it's not like any they're they're dumb they just it's not their it's not yep. their world uh, exactly. you know they're running their running their business and in some cases that kind of stuff can be. 
um, can be very intimidating, but it is very important for local uh, local businesses and not just Google My Business, but Yelp and, and you know, whatever, whatever else, things like that, depending on your, your business can be incredibly important in terms of driving, driving leads, driving voice search, um, all kinds of stuff. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I'm in the, in the same boat there with you. My parents own a, own a small business and yeah, I, I have, have ownership access of their Google My Business so I can do the exact same thing. So you, you kind of touched on a little bit of, um, of a nerve. You mentioned Wix and if anybody, and this, this is definitely a podcast for SEO. So if you're in the SEO community, you'll know about the, the Wix SEO challenge and all of the backlash that that seems to, to face every, every year. And something I saw yesterday, or maybe it was today. I know I tweeted about it today um, from Ruth Burr Reedy. Um, and I'm just going to read the tweet verbatim and I want to get your reaction because I know how I, I personally feel about it. So she tweeted out something that I thought was really, um, really insightful and it, it starts and it's a long thread and I won't go through the whole thread, but it said, uh, something I'm seeing in SEO type forums, groups, etc. more than I'd like someone who's newer to SEO will ask a question like, how do I do X thing and immediately be piled on with condescending replies like, why aren't you doing why thing instead? And she goes on to mention exactly what you, you had mentioned where there may be some people that are just getting into SEO or maybe they, they are using Wix because they don't have a choice and not to hammer on Wix, but just the general concept. Um, well, I guess what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Have you experienced that at all? Um, yeah. I, I mean, I definitely have my, definitely have my thoughts about Wix, but yeah, I think I actually saw Ruth's tweet this morning too, and I think there's there's definitely a lot of value in in the SEO community and what we can share with with uh, newer SEOs. Um, and I think I think Twitter is a great example of that, but also making sure that everything you see on Twitter, you aren't just taking at face value that you're actually putting some time into it and, and testing just because somebody, somebody posted it you need to make sure that it's actually relevant for whatever case you're applying it to. Just be like, somebody could post an example of something that they did for a site that has hundreds of thousands of URLs. And it might not act if you tried to implement the thing, that thing on a site with, a thousand URLs, you might not get the same results. So, um, well, I think Twitter is an amazing community and we are all sharing really cool things. It's also important to make sure that you are test, like we, like we just talked about testing those things and making sure that they apply to what, what you're working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think the other component of that, just to get into like the, the level of, and I, <laughs> If it, if it weren't for the fact that I feel like I need to be on Twitter and other social channels uh, in, in order to do my job sometimes, I honestly would probably just delete it because it, gets, it, get, it tends to get so, so negative. Um, and, and I'd never like to see when people get, um, you know, kind of piled upon for asking what may be kind of a newbie, newbie question. And I just would implore anyone who's listening to this, if you're a veteran uh, within the, and even if you're not, um, just remember that somebody once helped you, you were once new, be, be nice. I think you might've even said, just be nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, just be, nice be nice to people. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely, definitely heard similar thoughts from people. Like if I, 
if I didn't need to know what was going on, like I definitely wouldn't be on, on Twitter. And it's, it's sad that people, it's gotten to that point with people, but I think, I think there's enough people that are willing to kind of help out the mm-hmm. new people and, and share information. And, and I think at some point, like we're, even if you've been in the industry for 20 years doing SEO, like the way Google changes constantly on a daily basis, like to some degree, we're all still newbies. Like the, like Google could completely change everything one day and set us all back to the, uh, the same level playing field again. So yeah. yeah, it's definitely, definitely just be nice, help each other out. So let's back up a little bit. We, we uh, just, this happened in my last interview where we went way down the rabbit hole. <laughs> um, Easy to do. So outside of SEO, like who are you? What, what do you do in your personal time? Yeah, um, I obviously love Colorado, and there's not a shortage of things to do here. I uh, love to get out, get outside, see see what's happening in Denver, and then also uh, the mountains. We we try to go camping as much as possible. What is it? The end of June, and I think we've been camping four times already this wow. season. Nice. Yeah, there's there's so much to see in Colorado, and being so close to like every we we spend a lot of time in Moab, Utah, which is super close and and New Mexico and yeah, just getting outside the mountains. I like to fish and camp obviously and then I can't be outside. I have a strange affinity with with old school Super Mario Brothers. I have if both of the both of the new systems that just came out have all the the old games preloaded in them, so those are my favorite things to geek out on. I, I also have it on good authority by, and by that, I mean your Twitter account that you like gardening. I do. Yeah. SEO beers has kind of led into SEO gardening here in Denver. There's a, a small group of us that all have pretty, ex- pretty exciting gardening habits. So now we've started using the hashtag SEO garden. Yeah. You well. have kind of a high tech, high tech setup going there with uh, like the, the irrigation and the, the drainage and or whatever it was. It yeah. Was- we got to Colorado's dry. You got to water all the time. So I'm sick of just standing there with the hose for 20 minutes or <laughs> twice a day. Yeah. My, my mother-in-law always says you got to give the plants a big drink. And, and if I ever go and water her plants and if I only stand there for 30 seconds, she yells at me and says, you're not giving a big enough drink. Come on, Jake, what are you doing? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Standing there. So it's funny that you mentioned Super Mario. Do you have, um, is the system you have like a, a new system or because I, I also have an affinity for old school Nintendo. And so I'm, I'm, right now raising three small children who don't yet have the hand eye well one's one's a, one's a newborn but the others yeah. don't yet have the hand eye coordination to handle like a PlayStation 4 or anything very advanced but I did you know it occurred to me that maybe if they just had an old school Nintendo like I grew up on which has like two buttons to mash and and not much yeah. more than that with the directional controller like it would be a little bit easier to figure out so I looked online and I saw that um, I found on Amazon you can get re- a retro. It's like a mini Nintendo that comes yep. loaded with a bunch of games, uh, including Mario, which I I still play. So I'm often you know pushing my son off, going, "No, Carter, let me show. Let me show." You. <laughs> yeah, those are exactly. It's exactly what I have. Yeah, and they came out with came out with the Super Nintendo version and the regular Nintendo version a couple of years ago, and. There's some there's some knockoffs out there, but I've got the the originals that Nintendo came out with. I still have my my original old school Super Nintendo in the basement too. Oh, nice. Yeah. No, I wish I I wish I had kept mine. Uh, yeah. No, when I was researching it, I've even though the the one that Nintendo 
personally sold was a little bit more expensive. I researched the knockoffs in my in the, my concern, even though some of them came with more actual games, and this is getting like deep into gamer stuff, <laughs> um, that the, the the types of plugs in, in researching it were not compatible with like TVs here in the U.S. So I was like, oh. I'm going to spend this money, and then, then it's going to come with a cord that I can't plug into my TV. So I was like, all right, I'll just pay Nintendo a little bit more. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, my only my that. only my only qualm with them is they made the cords so stinking short. Oh my god, yes. It's like the cord is like three feet long, if that. Yeah. They have extenders and I have the wireless controllers, but it just well, shows how invested I, I am. I'm still one of those people that I'll stand two feet from the TV. <laughs> well it work that works for little kids too. Right. Uh, yeah, that's funny. All right. So I guess let's get back into SEO if we have to. So <laughs> Tell me about some of your successes. Um, one of the biggest things I'm, I'm proud of recently or in the last year or so is I had a multi-location SEO client and like 40, 40 locations. And all of a sudden one day we realized that all of their locations had been suspended in Google My Business, which we're like, that's strange. Uh, so we started diving into it and then realized that multiple, almost all of the Google My Business listings in this Google account we had as an agency uh, were suspended. And we're like, that's strange. This is like hundreds of listings all of a sudden suspended. So started doing some digging, couldn't figure it out, enlisted the help of Joy Hawkins. Um, still we're struggling. And then all of a sudden we realized that um, a lot of the accounts were tied to Google AdWords accounts. And when they set up uh, location extensions, for some reason AdWords was automatically making a new Google My Business listing. So we had this account that had like 800 duplicate Google My Business listings in it that essentially Google had caused the problem that caused the suspension that then we had to spend all of this time like fighting to get unsuspended. So it took a couple of months, but we got everything cleaned up and everything back live and unsuspended, but it was, it was a process. Definitely a really good learning experience, but also super frustrating to be like Google caused, essentially caused this issue in their own product yeah we're we're experiencing a very similar similar issue with with that type of stuff where things just go down with with no warning yeah um, or we're you know working with ag aggregators or in uh, Moz local is a great uh, another uh, vendor that we work with and their data not syncing with Google my business and you know yeah. trying to figure out where do we have to edit it do we edit it in Moz? Do we edit it in GMB? It's big, giant, giant mess. And um, yeah. yeah, it can be a pain. So I guess what was that, what was that like in terms of not just like the time it took to figure out the issue, but from an impact standpoint to the client, like what were they, what were you having to deal with from a with the, with the client that you were working on and, and what type of impact did that have to their business? Yeah, like that, that was probably the most frustrating part is like trying to explain to the client because not only did we have the client, we had all of the franchise owners who like through the client were able to get communicate with us because they're multi-location. And so we're trying to not only explain to the client, but explain to every single franchise owner why their listing was down. And yeah, it was, it was a mess, but we were able to, we were able to get them up fairly quickly and we didn't see, I think the, the worst thing was some of them, we lost some reviews. So that was, 
that was kind of a battle with some of the clients that were obviously upset that some of their reviews went away, but um, lots of time on the phone with Google My Business reps and we're finally able to kind of merge some of the, the old listings back with the new ones to get some reviews back and it definitely reminded me of Google's process. Like while they say reach out to us on, on Twitter and mm-hmm. Facebook or whatever their, their messaging platform is, you could still pick up the phone and call them. Like you have to go through some backwards channels to do it. I figured out that by calling the, the AdWords help number, you could push it. There's a couple prompts that somehow get you to a Google My Business person. So they probably don't want everybody to know that. But if you, if you make, try hard, make it easy. if you try hard enough, you can get someone on the phone eventually. Yeah, they, they definitely don't don't like to make it easy. So so you touched on something that I think is is incredibly important and it's dealing and, and I say dealing with clients like it's a bad thing, but working working with clients and in this case it sounds like you had some frustrated clients. So how did you how did you handle that and what advice would you give for working with clients who, who maybe you run into some things like this that are just not optimal. Yeah. I think just being straightforward with them, letting them know from the start, like don't let them be the one to find out that their Google, my business listing is suspended. Like if you realize something happened, tell them right away and like instill that, like, that I've got it attitude. Like if you stay confident, like even if you're in the back of your mind freaking out and wondering how in the heck you're going to get these listings back up, being confident with the client that we've got it under control. We're going to get this taken care of as quickly as we can, I think goes a long way in helping the client stay calm and not freak out that their listing is down. Um, and then just encouraging the client to do, do other things like obviously, well, well, their Google, my business listing and their local presence is super important, especially in this day and age, but um, encouraging them to stay active on their other social channels. So if they're pretty active on Facebook, they have a good following, uh, making sure that they maybe just like step up that game for a little while while things are down um, and just staying in communication with them, letting them know, even if you don't have anything to update, just send them a quick email and say, Hey, just letting you know, we're still working on this, waiting on, waiting on a response from our Google rep or something like that. Just so they, they have that, you have that touch point and they know that you're still engaged with the issue. Yeah, absolutely. Proactivity is always um, incredibly, incredibly important in yeah. the SEO game. In mostly, but in the SEO yeah. game especially, uh, trying to be be ahead of ahead of things, ahead of either the the, the trend or ahead of the the narrative that that might have gotten created had you not been proactive about reaching reaching out and explaining what was going on. So, exactly. so your success was also. It wasn't your failure, but it was a it was a failure too. So you did both. I like to ask people about successes and and failures, um, but you kind of covered covered both on both in one scenario. <laughs> um, I guess. Do you have any any more kind of cases or, or or things that you that you think would be really relevant for people to hear in terms of either on the success side or on kind of the the failure side in terms of how you might have dealt with it? Um. I think just like career wise in general, like we talked about earlier, like I definitely didn't start out in SEO. Like it wasn't my first, I was a, I was actually a women and gender studies major in college. So definitely, definitely a a pivot from where I thought I would be, um, where I'm at now. But I think just, just like, especially if you're someone starting out in the industry, like don't be intimidated by all that there is to know, like just kind of, I think somebody else said it on Twitter the other day, like just get in there and start start diving in and learning stuff. That's the best way to do it. Um, if you're working at an agency, 
or, or even in house, like make yourself a test site, like have a, have a site for yourself where you're testing things out where you have a little bit more control over, over some things. Um, but just, yeah, I think that might be one of my, my bigger accomplishments is just kind of, uh, where I'm at as far as like where I've progressed and what I feel like I know given where that I didn't, I mean, you can't really, I guess now, now you can go to school for things like data science and there's more digital marketing integrated into normal, like marketing degrees but Mm -hmm. there still isn't like you can go to school to be a lawyer you can't go to school to be an seo essentially so yeah so just yeah learn everything that like everything i feel like for a majority of us everything we know is pretty self-taught and i think that's that's an accomplishment in itself absolutely absolutely and it takes a, a special type of person to get into some of this stuff and to um, to want to want to be an SEO because SEO is it can be frankly it can be hard sometimes um, it, it can be hard for a lot of a lot of different reasons and it's nobody <laughs> at least in this generation nobody grows up even knowing what an SEO SEO is or you know let alone thinking I'm going to be an SEO everybody has kind of fallen into it from another another career path um and even to this day which is a little bit shocking given that seo has now been it's been around for long enough you think that there is uh, would be more traditional curriculum or education uh based upon it um but there's there's not much and i've you know i've you know personally worked with a lot of uh, folks fresh out of college um in the feedback is that yeah we we touch on it as a concept but that's it. That's, that's really it. So, uh, I find that a lot of folks fresh out of college, uh, doing the, the marketing thing. Um, they're just, you know, they're either, they're still trying to figure out which, you know, which discipline they want to do, whether it be SEO paid social or or whatever. Um, they just, if it's SEO that they really want to do, they're usually not quite ready yet. They don't have a lot of experience and and exactly takes experience so for those of us that came to it from somewhere somewhere else you're right it's all at least I I know for myself it's in in the folks that I've interviewed it's almost always been self self taught which is I find quite amazing yeah definitely cool so gosh what made you want to become a technical SEO um, I think it's something that's that's overlooked a lot of the time and not something that especially I think it's something a lot of companies don't want to put money into because they don't understand the impact of it. Um, everyone's concerned about about rankings and they tie that in real quick to keywords and the content that's showing up on their site and the things that they can see and a lot of the technical stuff is is behind the scenes, not necessarily something that you can see. So when you tell a client, hey, your your site speed is really low, we need to we need to improve the, the how fast that's loading or you tell them something else is not not right on a technical technical standpoint maybe you don't have you've the wrong the wrong urls in your sitemap or things like that either they go over their head because they're super technical or they don't understand how those things have an impact on the things that they think are important like rankings and traffic and conversions so um i think that I like that aspect of it, the being able to kind of see the, the aha moment when you can get a client to realize that things like page speed have an impact on conversions and being able to make those connections for a client. Uh, and then also just sometimes the challenge of 
figuring out sometimes it, it's super it's not as simple as oh this page is is loading super slow that's impacting this situation if we fix it this will improve sometimes there's a lot more a lot more digging that has to happen to figure out what that issue is that's plaguing a site so that challenge is is always fun as well so you raised an interesting con- concept um I feel like technical is incredibly foundational to, to SEO, right? It's like if you're building a house and SEO is the house, right? You've got to start with the foundation and that to me is technical yep. SEO, right? Yeah. So, I use that analogy all the time. Right, right, right. And if your foundation is off, the rest of your house is going to be awful and exactly. the house is going to collapse. Yeah. Um, but, but it's, it, it's, I think an area of, difficulty and I come from a technical SEO background as well in terms of getting getting it sold into clients in terms of them moving around whatever they have in their IT work stream to fit in what you want them to do and and that's why with technical like even though it's the most foundational thing that you should be doing it takes so much longer than some of the other stuff so how do you get the, the 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 right stakeholders to to buy in and get them to prioritize your recommendations. Yeah, I think that's definitely a case by case basis. It definitely depends on who who's on who's on the team that you're talking to, especially if you're on a team of of, of C suites or people that don't that are pretty far removed from maybe some of the the day to day interaction with the actual website. I think that can definitely be where where the where the challenge can come in. I think if you can get either a dev on your side, uh, someone who understands, yeah, that pa- things like page speed matter and some of those those foundational technical things. Um, as much as like sometimes devs and SEOs butt heads, I think I think there's also a certain. I think more on the technical side, there can be a, a certain level of camaraderie between because devs want what they're building to to function well and and perform well. So I think that can be devs can actually be a good good ally if you can form those relationships. Um, and then I think finding finding a connection with someone on a marketing team who has can kind of bridge that gap between between the SEO contractors or whatever the situation is and and the, like the higher ups in the company I think they can maybe help bridge that gap a little bit too as far as getting them to understand the value and the foundational stuff so we just keep touching on really interesting <laughs> so something that um, I know in other interviews with kind of the more technical folks that I've talked to um, a big component of that is getting devs on your side. And I know from, from them and also from my own personal experience that it can be challenging because, you know, aside from just personalities in general, there often are stigmas that go into both, both things, both the developer side as well as an SEOs. And, and I think each party can sometimes come into the relationship with uh, an idea of what that other person or group is without it may may not be true. Uh, so how do you win over developers? Uh, besides beer and donuts, <laughs> definitely a challenge. Um, I think it's definitely hard, especially when you're like, I have some friends who have, who work at, at companies where they have in-house dev teams and they're the ones that I feel like have, have had the best luck 
that I've talked to as far as being able to have those good relationships with devs because they're able to work with them in person and they're all kind of invested. Not that when you work with a client relationship, you're not invested in the same project, but they, like, they have a little more investment in the same project. Um, but I think at the agency level, interacting with devs, I think just starting things off on the right foot, um, figuring out what their workflow is. Like I have a, a client right now and we typically use uh, project management. We use Basecamp a lot um, mm-hmm. for interacting with clients and to keep everything centralized and stuff. But this dev really does not like Basecamp. I noticed they weren't responding to messages. Um, so realized that email is where they work best. They'd like rather hop on quick, quick chats, that sort of thing. So figuring out what, what works well for that dev, what their workflow is, and figuring out how to interject yourself into that, um, I think is really, really key, especially early on into the relationship to make sure that you're communicating well. Um, and then figuring out how you can do, like make recommendations that are easy for them to understand and fit into kind of how they work too, I think is where I found some success as well. Yeah, I would say, and I have a ton a ton of thoughts here. Um, I think the first one is having empathy um, and having empathy for what they might be having to deal with because while you think your SEO recommendations are the most important, those are just one component of all of the things that they're they're trying to, to manage and I know that it can be really frustrating as an SEO to, to have what you think are great recommendations. I've made this recommendation quite a bit, and um, I've all, almost in all cases gotten pushback on that one. And I, that one in particular has been frustrating me for many, many years. But I think, um, you know, while it can be frustrating to have your recommendations sit on the shelf for a long time, you also have to have empathy and understand that, you know, maybe your priorities aren't as important as, as other priorities and maybe yeah. to really level set. Um, the flip side of that is I think earning their, earning their respect and their trust, which I think you can do by, uh, you know, simply knowing what systems they, they work best in, communicating, joking around if you can, if you work in-house, you know, going over and talking with them. Uh, you know, as you pass them recommendations, pop them by their desk and say, hey, did that make sense? Or walking through questions with them. Um, if you're not in-house showing knowledge of whatever platform they're working on, um, you know, those, those, those types of things where you, where you balance showing your expertise, but also showing, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a person too. Exactly. Um, I'm not a charlatan <laughs> like me. Yep. About it, think about SEOs, but and then I think the last thing is honestly like once they implement something, especially if they prioritized it and they felt like it was important enough to implement, or if they've moved something that maybe other stakeholders in in their business thought was really important for the SEO stuff, uh, make sure that you eventually at some point circle back and show them the results, especially yeah, if they're good, because definitely. if you're able to show them the results that's just going to make them, it's, it's like a snowball effect. That's going to make them want to, um, want to implement more things and want to uh, saddle up with you on kind of the next recommendation. Those are, that, that's been the way that I've, I've had success with developers. And I, I will say that I, you know, I haven't had success with every single developer. Um, so I think even, you know, even myself, I have room to, to improve the way I interact, but that's been, those have been like the key components of when I've worked well with a developer. So yeah. 
yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there, like being able to kind of relate and get on the same page. A developer that I'm working with right now on a migration and uh, it's a migration to to react and I'll be the first one to admit that even as a technical SEO JavaScript SEO is still such an such an unknown beast to me and yeah. um, I admitted that like he had a question on a call the other day and I was like you know I'm gonna tell you right now I'm googling this as we're talking to make sure I'm getting you like the most accurate answer like as much as you're you're stumped by the best way to do this there's there's a few things that are that are stumping me too so I think being able to let them know that you don't necessarily know everything either can kind of help level that playing field a little bit too. Yeah, I think that's, that's important. Um, I think that's, that's important even more than just the relationship with the developer is with your, with your client or with your, you know, if you're in house, you know, with your internal stakeholders, just again, just letting them know that you don't know everything. It's And it's okay to not know everything. I feel like we yep. talk about that quite a bit. We, touch on in imposter syndrome which is typically what seos feel when they're with other seos sometimes yep. um and i think the big thing is it's okay to not know everything now, that doesn't mean you can't or shouldn't go find the answer um and obviously you're, you're finding the answer um and i had an interesting interesting um project and i won't say i get i when i worked at startups that site was based on Re- react and we had a bunch of um, very interesting conversations relating to how can we make sure that uh, that Google and other search engines can see that content. It's yeah. by JavaScript. So pre-render is something we use pretty pretty heavily there to make sure that we were serving content, um, you know, as well as all of the the things that needed to happen from the the code the code side of things. And I really got into the difference between you know what you see in the source code versus like the rendered dom and i've been a technical seo and and i had not had to deal with there being differences between source code and dom until i had to deal with uh, a site that was primarily using javascript to serve content so like that for me honestly i don't know i was 10 plus years in and that was an educational moment for me so yeah yeah experiencing is pretty normal yeah, that's a good point. So, I guess tell me tell me a few things you love and a few things that you don't love about the industry. Um, I think we definitely touched on touched on the one which is some of the negativity on Twitter, which is definitely something I don't love about the industry. Um, it would be nice to see see everybody helping everybody out a little more than they do. But on the flip side, it's also some like I've also had mostly positive experiences. Um, with people helping me out and seeing people help each other out. So as, as negative as things can get on Twitter, at the same time, I feel like things are also like it, we're also a very, very good at like helping each other out and sharing information and, and that sort of thing. There's a couple new, a new group that's popped up recently in my, my world. And it's a women of tech group, uh, both on Facebook and Twitter and um, kind of trying to pull, pull, get, pull ourselves out of some of that negativity a little bit and, and help each other out has been really cool. Um, I, I got to experience a really cool event a couple months ago. I, uh, speaking is something I've been trying to do more of, especially because there's just, 
Moz does a really good job at it uh, and Distilled does a really good job at it with Search Love and their conferences and Brighton as well, but uh, getting more women involved in, in conferences and, and equalizing that playing field a little bit. And I went to uh, the Shine Speaker Boot Camp in uh, Vancouver and it's a group of women that, three women that, a couple of that used to work at Unbounce uh, put together this event, do completely volunteer on the side of their, their other busy, busy lives. Um, but it was, we had a six-week online course that we participated in prior to the event and then we all got together in Vancouver for a weekend and um, honed a 10-minute talk that we the the Sunday the final day of the event it was almost like a mini conference like we all got up and did our 10 minutes we got professional headshots and our our talks videotaped and we get to use that as as pitch material when we're pitching conferences and stuff and it was just a really cool really cool experience to get to learn about what other people are doing and to learn to become better speakers together was really cool. So where can people find, find that? Is there a website or like, how did you find out about that? Just, yeah, just on Twitter. Um, it's shine speaker bootcamp and they're actually wrapping up, wrapping up applications for their next event in Toronto. I think, I don't, I'm not sure when we're going to air, when you're going to air this. So it's probably after that, but um, th- tomorrow's the application deadline for the next round. But uh, they, I think they're trying to do it twice a year now. So to make it more accessible to people. Yeah, I think, and I, I think that's, it's interesting. There's the, there's the work component of SEO and then there's the speaking and the conference and kind of the publicity, I guess, PR. Yep component of SEO and it's it honestly it can be hard to balance and uh, it can be hard to balance maintaining a, enough of a workload but also you want to get your name out there yeah. um, to, to speak because it takes time to be on Twitter and be in conversations all day and all of that time because there's only a finite amount of time takes away from you know what you're doing from an actual work standpoint with yeah real world clients and I've seen in the past and I'm not a, I'm not a huge speaker nor am I well known. Um, I, but I have seen in the past folks that are very well known and very much on the, what I call, I guess just the conference circuit fall out of touch with what it's like to be a day to day SEO. That's actually one yeah. of my big inspirations for doing this podcast um, is to talk about what it's like And it. And I was early on in my career when I, when I, observed that happen and it was a little bit shocking for me yeah, to definitely that some people that I really looked up to and that were well known in the industry when it came to working on clients just were surprisingly bad bad um but anyways that's that's like that's a completely different different tangent um I do think it's incredibly important to get your name out there and to you can share your ideas so what are some of the things that you learned at this and I guess what advice yeah. you hear with other people yeah I think I think one of the biggest things was just like how to how to really focus a, a presentation on and like all of the all the little things that go into presentation that you don't think about to keep uh, to keep people and an audience engaged so like the basic things like don't have too much text on a slide make sure you're like speaking to your topic not just reading your slides but um, also just like the experience of being able to work one-on-one Well, we were in groups of like three with a coach, but having that time to work with somebody who's been there and has gone through that process of doing all of the pitches over and over hearing no and figuring out what it takes to, to rework those pitches and to get those yeses was really, I think just an invaluable experience to have. 
And did anybody give an indication of like how many pitches they make for every one that they land, what the ratio might be? Um, I feel like I feel like we did talk about that a little bit. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it definitely, and I think it definitely kind of varies from, from person to person, obviously, but it right. definitely, it's definitely a higher number of pitches, of pitches put out there than pitches accepted. That's for sure. Right. So it seems like if you really want to um, canvas the conference circuit, you should pitch and pitch often. Yep. Yeah. And a lot of it, and unfortunately a lot of it, just like anything else is, is about connections. It's about who you know. Um, and that's why one thing they really pushed is like, once we have our videos, have a speaker page on your website. So there's mm-hmm. somewhere where people can go and find like tangible experience that you have uh, when they're looking at, at picking speakers for a conference. And I think conferences, there's a lot, like I said, I think the, the top three, like Moz, Moz, Brighton, Search Love, I think those three especially are doing a really good job of getting of getting new speakers out there. They A lot of the, them have community speaker spots for people that maybe aren't those well-known people that are hitting all of the conferences on the speaker circuit um, and getting people people out there. I think for anyone that's looking to get started, the thing that I've really been doing and really enjoyed is local meetups here in Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a pretty active WordPress community and a, and a pretty active SEO community that both have monthly meetups. So speaking at those, um, I haven't spoken at anything big yet, but honestly, I really enjoy the meetup circuit meetup scene just because you get a lot of a lot more one-on-one interaction with the people that are there um and being able to to answer questions and and that side of things so that's where i would recommend starting if someone's looking to to kind of break into that um and it's just fun and if you're not um in a city where there's yet uh, a meetup start one exactly yeah i I mean that's how the beer and seo got uh started in raleigh and probably how it got started in in, in Denver as well. Yep. And somebody just took the initiative and said, let's start one. Let's get all these people together and good things yep. happen. Or go, or if there's a conference that you really, really want to speak at someday, go to that conference, go to that conference a couple times, figure out who the organizers are, get to know them and, and get yourself known that way as well. Absolutely. So let's talk tactics. What are your favorite tactics? Um, so obviously as far as technical goes, you can't really do anything until you know what's going on. So being able to, to get, get all of the data in one place. So crawling a site, whatever, whatever crawler that is, if you like screaming frog, you like deep crawl, you like a CM rush, whatever that is, like getting your hands on every single piece of that website that might be hiding out there, um, is super important before you start diving into anything. And then, and then where do you go from there, I guess? Once you've got the website all kind of wrangled and you start looking at what things are wrong or or what things you can use to your advantage, I I don't know, what's your typical go-to? Yeah, just from there, then figuring out how to to handle the data. That's been, I think, one of the the biggest learning curves for me at SEER is all of a sudden going from sites with... 5,000 URLs to sites that have 50 plus thousand URLs and figuring out exactly how to, how to handle that much data. Uh, One of my coworkers brought me into the world of uh, the power query extension for Google or for uh, Microsoft Excel and being able to use that to handle uh, large amounts of data in Excel. So um, figuring out the best way to handle the data that you have so you can start to pull out what's, what's exactly happening. Yeah. And we, um, so on our side, we like to use Google Sheets 
quite a bit because of the collaborative um, yep. opportunities. But we've run into a couple of cases where we're dealing with uh, pretty massive websites and we're trying to do some analysis in Google Sheets. And we're literally, it's like when you have a computer that doesn't have enough RAM, <laughs> yep. we're kind of breaking it. And there have been a couple of times where we've had to say, well, I guess we're just going to have to go back to Excel because it just has a little bit more uh, more memory and I, I don't yep. know, I'm assuming it's affected by RAM, a little bit more power to process more yeah. lines of information. So that's been something that we've run into pretty recently. Yeah, that import feature is a little is nice instead of just copy paste at least, but it's still not as not as robust as Excel, unfortunately. So do you do a lot of work on um, speed? I would like to, not as much as I'm doing currently, but it's definitely something that I'm always looking at. It tends to be kind of, we, we try to make it a process, a part of our, our tech audit process, but there's definitely other things that sometimes end up being more pressing, um, but it's definitely something we like to look at. Yeah, I, it's been like my my personal um not sure what to what to call it. It's been something that I've been personally very invested in for quite some time, but it's also been something that not many clients have taken seriously. So it's been yeah. like my, my big point of frustration with technical SEO because with maybe one or two exceptions, probably in the last five years, almost every site that I've dealt with has had major speed issues and I can't understand why especially with the rise of mobile devices, more site owners just don't take it seriously. Um, but it could also be that it's in, incredibly complex when it comes to, to fixing it. But um, I'm hoping that yeah. people start to get in, in SEOs, or I think are certainly on the speed bandwagon, but site owners and webmasters and developers, I really wish uh, that they would begin to come along with, with respect to speed because it's always such a big opportunity. Yeah, I, I 100% agree there. Um, I have a project I haven't fully dived into yet, but um, a little little spoiler, I'm, I have this theory that if we can do some competitive analysis from a technical standpoint mm -hmm. and compare, I mean, there's so much data you can get on a competitor's site without having access to GA and Search Console. You can drop any competitor site into Screaming Frog and into any of the page speed tools. And I think if we can get better at showing, hey, your competitor's page speed is this and yours is this way down here, I think that could be a pretty powerful way to sure. drive home for a client that maybe you should pay attention to something that's pretty darn important or 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 show that or like leaving money on the table if like they like you said their their page speed is awful and it's affecting other metrics like conversion rate or losing out on purchases if they're they're an e-commerce site so finding finding ways to make those those points hit hit them where they know it's going to hurt that sort of thing yeah and there are times even when they know it's going to hurt they still don't take think it. it's not as important right you know? i i once went into a, a, a presentation with like a huge global client and I had done some analysis around, and I've told this story before, done some analysis around uh, their opportunity with speed. And I said, look, by increasing your, your speed, you believe that it would impact in any way your conversion rate by even a little bit, you stand to make millions, millions of dollars. And they literally just looked yeah. at and they threw their heads up and they 
laughed, laughed, basically laughed me out of the room. <laughs> room. And then about a year later, um, they had engaged with a speed, a, a side speed vendor who told them the same thing. And then they came back to me. <laughs> they were like, sorry for laughing at, laughing at you. You were right. Um, yeah. Anyways. Yeah, um, you are. Tools. Are there any oh, tools man. you like over others? Any any good tools that you like to, to use over others? Um, I'm definitely a fan of Screaming Frog. I think its ability to to get so much data and so many different things is amazing. And I think they're always staying on top of, of things. Like when they added the feature a few months ago to be able to, to crawl a site for schema that mm -hmm. you can't get from some tools, I think is really helpful. Um, I think using multiple tools is always important. Like using Screaming Frog is great, but um, sometimes you need to dive into SEMrush because you're going to get different different data from there as far as as far as the things that they have. So I think having multiple tools in your arsenal is always important. Um, I like you love love WordPress, so there's obviously all kinds of things that that can help a WordPress site or hurt them. I think people get really excited about plugins, but that can definitely hurt things on the speed side. So making sure that you're using plugins that are helpful but not hurting you is definitely important when no matter any platform is going to have its own, own thing like that. Yeah. And you, it, on the lines of using multiple tools, like sometimes it's a necessity. I love screaming. I use screaming frog literally every day, but if I need to crawl a really large site, like you've got to move on to other, other tools that are capable of more enterprise enterprise yeah. level crawls or you're, not going to be happy with your computer's performance that day. No. Because no. it's going to lock up. Um, you know, we've, we've actually, in one of our offices, um, because we've run into that problem, and in, in before the age of deep crawl becoming a, a thing, uh, or site ball becoming a thing, we had set up like this super computer to just for running crawls that we, when we knew that the crawl was going to take up a bunch of RAM or it was, you know, thousands or, or millions of URLs. Uh, that Smart. we parse through, but yeah, we had to go to great lengths to <laughs> to get outside the bounds of what Screaming Frog, which is an amazing tool, was was capable. Of. Yeah, site, that site bulb was another one I was going to mention. That's that's really opened up the door to a lot a lot of really cool insights as well. And and what I think is happening because now you're getting you've mentioned SEM Rush, Ahrefs has a tech audit tool. I think all of these tools are doing a great job at um, having. <laughs> quick product development cycles and the fact that there are more of them in market is in my opinion, really pushing them all to be. Yeah. Which is, which is nice for us. Definitely. Yeah. Maybe cutting yeah. their bottom line, but good for us. On the local side, there's definitely some, some cool innovative stuff out there. Um, the Denver company, mobile Moxie, uh, Cindy hey. Crum. Yeah. Yeah. She's got, she's doing some, she, I feel like she's five years ahead of everyone all the time. Um, but she's got some really cool stuff out there. Her, her tools are, are super useful and, and always super interesting to be able to, cause local's so hard. Like, so people, that's the one thing that I think frustrates me about local clients so much sometimes is, well, why aren't I showing up here for this when I'm sitting in my house? Well, local is so proximity based that if you're 10 minutes down the road, you can get a completely different search result. Mm -hmm. So her tools are so invaluable in being able to, to show that firsthand to clients. Yeah. And if you don't know what the concept of a fraggle is, yeah, um, check that out. That check it out. It's really interesting. I won't go into it right now, but I think it's it's the future of the way 
Google is going to start indexing and showing. It may even be the current, especially with things like podcasts. Um, yeah. The current of, of how Google is going to start indexing and surfacing up, uh, not necessarily just URLs, but pieces of relevant content within a larger content piece. So she coined the term fraggles, not to be confused with fraggle rock, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty awesome concept. So I would, I would definitely recommend going to the mobile moxie website and reading up on that. And read her oh. stuff multiple, multiple times because it will take you a couple of times. Oh, sure. Yeah. Or if you want to, if you want to listen, we, so Cindy and I talked about that, I believe in episode five, we talked, we got way into fraggles because I, I had not heard that concept before she mentioned it in, um, in my episode with her. And it was just completely fascinating. Yeah. She's, she's super smart. So I think the, the last question I want to ask before we sign off is what would be your advice? It's, it's 2019 and somebody's just getting into SEO. What would you say to them? Um, get on Twitter, even though, even though there's like we talked about numerous times, there's, there's definitely some questionable stuff out there, but get on Twitter, figure out who you want to follow and pay, pay attention to them, but also just pay attention to what people are saying and then test it out. Don't, don't just take it for face value, test it out and see, see how it works and if it works for you. And in general, just don't be afraid to test things out, build yourself a site, start, Start throwing schema on there, seeing what hap- see what happens in the search results. Um, that's the other thing. Spend time in those search results. I think as SEOs, we get so caught up in, okay, I'm in this tool, I'm in this tool all the time, I'm creating this document for clients, and we forget to go and actually see what's happening in the search results. And as we know, they change from day to day. So making sure that you're checking out exactly what's happening, what your what your site's looking at looking like, obviously, and just and what competitor sites are looking like. Um, and don't be afraid to, to ask questions. Like everyone is, has probably had the same question that you had and maybe they didn't. And maybe you're asking something that's going to make someone that's been in the industry for 20 years, think about something completely different because you're coming in it, coming in, in a completely different time and space. So don't be afraid to, to ask questions. Absolutely. So, uh, Nikki, thank you so much for, um, for coming on. I really appreciate the, uh, candidness and uh, felt like this was a great conversation. Thank you, Jacob. I appreciate the opportunity. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Page 2 Podcast. If you like this podcast, you can listen and rate it on a number of platforms including Anchor.fm, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, Applecast, Stitcher, Breaker, CastBox, and more. If you wish to support the growth of this podcast, please visit my website at jacobstoops.com forward slash page 2 podcast or Anchor.fm forward slash page two podcast to make a donation would be greatly appreciated. If you're an SEO who would like to be interviewed, I'd love to have you. Simply send me an email at jake.stoops at gmail.com and we'll absolutely set something up. Until next time, happy optimizing.